Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I'm pleased to be down here on the floor of the Marriott Center, but I hope it's okay if I confess to having dreamt here, dreamt of being here in years past. Now, well, actually, the dreams were more like fantasies, and they involved the basketball floor and skills I never really developed very well, uh, not this podium, but I did dream about being down here in the past. In truth, it's a pleasure to have this opportunity uh, to talk with you. I've planned my remarks in the spirit of Nephi of old, that I might speak with plainness, that I might be understood. I also hope that my interpretations of scriptures are obvious and straightforward. Maybe an incident in my own life will explain a little bit of what I mean. A few years ago, I lived in Blacksburg, Virginia. This is a university town in the Appalachian Plateau. Uh, While there, I went to renew my driver's license at the Department of Motor Vehicles. And as a part of that process, uh, the clerk asked me to look into a box on the counter and take an eye test. I looked, and she asked me to read what I saw. Well, there were a number of lines and numbers in that box that I could read, so I took a bit of time trying to think where to start. As I hesitated, I heard a bored voice say, Out loud, please. (laughs) Well, she thought the task was obvious. Uh, I was not quick enough to see it so. I hope today to find the right lines to read with you, to explore a topic that we can all see as important, if not obvious. Let me ask you now to look around, take a quick inventory of those assembled here today. Present are your professors, your Relief Society presidents, your elders, quorum presidents, bishops, and other Church leaders. Take a little more time, and you can identify those who plan and maintain the buildings and other facilities here at BYU, and those who serve in the many supporting roles in your academic programs. Most importantly, you are here with your peers, other students. You will recognize a growing circle of friends, many of whom will become lifelong associates And I guess the very discerning of you will perhaps see here in the crowd that person destined to become your husband or your wife. As members of this BYU community, we do share many things. We have opportunities uh, not only to derive benefit from, but to contribute to this shared environment. In reality, the BYU community consists of a number of sub-communities. For example, the particular academic groups you belong to, the college, department, even smaller groups are here. 
Also, we have individual ward and stake organizations that have special relevance to our lives. There are probably even more sub-communities you might identify from your own experiences. But today, I want to discuss some of the characteristics of these communities as they influence our spiritual growth. It is obvious that we are centered about learning and education at BYU. Our very organization speaks to the academic intentions of the university. However, equally significant to us is our emphasis upon the development of character, upon the refinement and enlargement of our spiritual lives. Brigham Young University is very direct about this intention of fully integrating gospel principles and academic progress. It actually has had remarkable success in achieving this goal and stands in contrast to many other universities in both its intentions and in results. There is a sense in the world that higher education in general may lead to reliance upon our own human understanding and less reliance upon the Lord. There's a sort of equation that says more education equals less religious activity. However, there is clear evidence that this equation does not hold true for those who participate in the BYU community. In fact, the equation reads just the opposite for us. That is, more education equals greater religious activity. Graduates of institutions of higher education sponsored by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are more involved and dedicated to the gospel in their post-university life than those from non-religious schools. There is a strong correlation between added years of education for Church members and greater adherence to gospel principles and practice. Elder Dallin H. Oaks has written about the mission of BYU and the roles of the community here in a small book called On Becoming a Disciple Scholar. In his essay in that book, which was on learning and becoming, he noted, and I quote, In addition to our concern with learning, Brigham Young University is concerned with becoming, with the conversion of students, and also of teachers. He then continued with a reminder about our mission, quoting again, It is not just to enlarge what we know, but to change what we are. Unquote. In that same collection of essays, Elder Neil A. Maxwell spoke of scholarship as having a tight relationship with consecration. Let me offer you his words and read them for you. I'm quoting, For a disciple of Jesus Christ, academic scholarship is a form of worship. It is actually another dimension of consecration. Hence, one who seeks to be a disciple scholar will take both scholarship and discipleship very seriously, and likewise gospel covenants. For the disciple scholar, the first and second great commandments frame and prioritize life. How else? Could one worship God with all one's heart, might, mind, and strength? He then talked further of our roles in this environment. I quote again, The disciple scholar also understands what sort of community she or he should help to build. 
its citizens openly and genuinely desire to be called God's people. They are not secret disciples. They bear one another's burdens, mourn with those that mourn, comfort those in need of comfort, and witness for God at all times and in all places and in all things." Unquote. Elder Maxwell's language references the instructions given by Alma the Elder when he established the Church at the Waters of Mormon. Let me review some of Alma's words here as they are pertinent to our community today. I'm reading now from Mosiah. And he commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but that they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love towards one another. Alma then instructed the flock just a little more. I'm quoting again. Walk uprightly before God, imparting to one another both temporally and spiritually according to their needs and their wants. Note that Alma spoke of both temporal and spiritual matters as part of the obligation of these early Church members towards one another. When the Savior sat with his apostles at that Last Supper, he spoke frankly to Simon Peter about his responsibilities. <clears throat> Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren." Unquote. Commandments to love and strengthen one another have been repeated over time in our scriptures and are, most are clearly a necessary part of our community here at BYU. In the essay I referred to earlier of Elder Maxwell's, he likened our situation as disciples and scholars to a form of consecration where the mind and spirit become one. In a talk given at the BYU Annual University Conference later, Elder Henry B. Iron reflected upon this community as a place where we move towards such consecration and full acceptance of the Atonement. Speaking of evidence that faculty and others help students grow spiritually, Elder Iring said, I see it in the eyes of the students. I have seen it especially in the eyes of students who have been trusted with great responsibilities by you. Your remarkable courage to involve students in serious research, in leading service projects, and in caring for the campus has drawn from them sacrifice in time and effort beyond what was true just a few years ago. That is changing them, and it's changing this place. He then talked a little bit more on this theme, quoting again, Students come poor in what they know about things you have worked years to understand, yet you have welcomed undergraduates into your world as partners. That will give them powerful advantages when they go on to graduate school and to employment. But in the process of giving equal value to their contributions, when they give all they have, you have changed this place. Elder Iring's words suggest to me a unique and particular way in which our community functions. It's a way we have of faculty and students interacting centered upon scholarship that has great potential for realizing simultaneously 
our goals of academic and spiritual growth during your time at BYU. We usually call such uh, interactions mentoring. Mentoring of this nature has been happening at BYU for a long time. Most recently, it's become a strong focus in many departments and in a variety of situations in the workplaces at BYU. We've attempted to define and support mentoring in such a fashion as to clearly enhance the learning environment on campus. We've developed a number of principles for mentoring that, if followed, will support our efforts. Let me talk to you about two of those that are particularly pertinent to the topic of strengthening one another spiritually. The first of these principles states, Students should have access to faculty for sufficient time to allow development of personal and professional relationships. A second is a bit more direct. Students should be provided opportunity and examples for integration of spiritual and secular understanding. The principles suggest first an important role for mentors. I'll talk a bit about that. There's an assumption here that our faculty members and others are exemplars and that the time spent in their presence has value. In our academic pursuits, these, this assumption is well accepted. In spiritual matters, it is equally true, if less obvious. In addition to classroom experience, there are a number of situations that bring faculty and students together. Field trips, study abroad, research and creative activities, social visits in homes, experiences in student wards, other things. In all cases, the mentor may act to teach, to train, and to demonstrate gospel principles by example. The value of personal relationships and gospel living is further supported by responses of you as alumni after you leave as you report in an alumni questionnaire. I have taken from the 1998 alumni questionnaire of graduates a short segment talking about how students uh, speak of their experiences at BYU. The alumni have consistently reported spiritual growth as a result of interaction with faculty, peers, and others. One quote from an anonymous respondent seems to sum up these experiences. He or she said, the most significant impact BYU had on my life was the presence of good, intelligent people who lived the gospel. When I began studies at BYU, I seriously doubted I could live the way I'd been taught all my life. Professors who bore testimonies, bishops who understood the specific struggles of that age group, roommates who supported me, and eventually a spouse who loved me and kept me going on the path my parents had started me on. My life at age 26 definitely wouldn't be the same had I not gone to BYU. The power of these negative or positive personal examples cannot be overstated as a critical element of what we've called spiritual mentoring. In an article called Jesus, the Perfect Mentor, in the February 2002 Ensign, Elder Maxwell observed the following, quote, Each of us, from time to time is mentored and has chances to mentor. In my experience, truthful and caring one-liners that occur within such nurturing relationships have a long shelf life. You can probably recount three or four examples of how people have said something, 
probably a sentence or a clause, and you remember it still. It moves and touches you still. Such has been the case with me." Elder Maxwell continued. How wonderful it is, and we've all had these experiences, when we can gather in circles of friendship, large or small, with shared gospel values. Sharing is like gathering around conversational bonfires that grow warm and bright against the horizon. You will find the memories of these bonfires will achieve a lastingness not of what you wore or what the menu was, but rather because of the shared expressions of love and testimony. Especially helpful are the memories of those individuals and friends who are exemplars for you and me by the manner in which they strive so steadily and unapologetically to wear the whole armor of God. I think you can see just how well Elder Maxwell's characterization of mentoring relates to our mentoring principles and our own senses of being exemplars and righteous tutors to one another. There is also so much to be learned about being example from the life of the Savior. President Spencer W. Kimball, in a 1979 Ensign article uh, called Jesus the Perfect Leader, uh, gave us a few examples. Let me quote from him. Jesus said several times, Come follow me. His was a program of do what I do rather than do what I say. His innate brilliance would have permitted him to put on a dazzling display, but that would have left his followers far behind. He walked and worked with those he was to serve. His was not a long-distance leadership. He was not afraid of close relationships. He was not afraid that proximity to him would disappoint his followers. The leaven of true leadership cannot lift others unless we were, are with and serve those to be led." Unquote. The Savior spoke here of doing and of being close. Spiritual mentoring is a contact sport. It is most effective when we interact openly with one another. You should seek out occasions and situations that allow you to get to know your advisors. It is only when you know one another well enough to get past the polite, the perfunctory, or the impersonal conversations that you can begin to feel the spirit of your mentors. To illustrate the role of such a faculty member, I invite you to look at a short film segment featuring Professor Laura Bridgewater of our Microbiology and Molecular Biology Department. Dr. Bridgewater hosts a mentoring environment with numerous undergraduates and selected graduate students working together. Following close behind her will be a brief comment from a student, Laura Lee Claus, working on a project in English as Second Language Education with Professor Anna Timon and others. Dr. Bridgewater. It's great to be in a place where religion can be tied into everything. You don't have to keep it separate because it's not separate. You know, our religion fills every part of our lives. It fills every part of the science I do. And it has been very uplifting and very spiritually strengthening to be able to just to bask in that and to enjoy it and to talk to students about it. Students come in and talk to me all the time about things, questions they have. How does this part of science fit with our religion. And I just enjoy so much talking to them about that. And sometimes I have answers and sometimes I don't. Like I said before, we don't know everything yet. And sometimes it's just 
helping them understand that it's okay not to know. We just have to be humble and admit that we don't know and keep trying to learn what we can. One of the things that I noticed right away when I started working with Dr. Timont is that any time we'd have a group meeting or team type meeting, she would start with a word of prayer. And we, we had, actually any time I saw her working, she would start the work day with prayer. The fact that she recognized that the project she was working with was much more than, than, all, than all of us working together. That we were really asking for help that we needed to be able to do the best that we could do, and even more to get that extra assistance from Heavenly Father. And that's helped me as I've done work to ask for, to ask for help with any kind of product that we're working on. The words of Dr. Bridgewater reflect the attitude and intent of many faculty and others to be of service, to be a strengthening influence. The reaction of Laura Lee Claus to her mentor's use of prayer illustrates the power of such examples and the potential of examples to change lives. The capacity of peers to influence one another is a very significant matter here. You'll often find yourself in the role of mentor at BYU. Uh, let me give you an example that relates to peer encouragement of prospective missionaries. Many of you have observed that phenomenon early in the year where young men and women uh, talk about choosing to go on missions. It's clear that those who have been on missions or have made up their minds about missions serve a profound positive influence on others who are considering to do so. Decisions to accept mission calls are celebrated with friends and roommates. It is significant to our discussion that by the time students graduate from BYU, most males, about 95% or more, and close to 30% of our female students are by that time returned missionaries. They may have planned their missions long before they attended BYU, but a significant number make the final decision to serve while they're here because of their influence and their peers. In our research and creative work, students serve as novices in matters, serve as tutors of the novices in matters of academic disciplines. The same sharing and strengthening between peers is common in spiritual matters as well. The potential of these peer-to-peer -peer relationships is great. I hope that we can see from these examples that any immediate thought that the mentor equals the professor or other supervisor and mentee equals a student is an oversimplification. It doesn't recognize the fact that we may each be mentor or mentored, depending upon the situation. In reality, the relationship between supervisor and student is not a one-way street, particularly in spiritual matters. Both sides must be actively engaged to gain full benefit from the association. It is true that the giver of spiritual insight most often receives back in kind and more abundantly than he or she gave. It seems to me that the mentoring relationship is one of synergy, a situation where the interaction of two forces is greater than the sum of the individual efforts and contributions. In our situation, I believe the added value comes from the direct intervention and contribution of our Heavenly Father. 
A significant part of the synergy is often the nature of the scholarship. Let me have you listen now to two students. First, Chris Winters, a political science major, as he talks of his research project, which concerned Latter-day Saints and wartime experiences. His mentors were Robert C. Freeman and Dennis Wright. After his remarks, you'll hear from Mike Manukin, who was an undergraduate ORCA scholar here and is now working on a graduate degree in linguistics with Professor Darrell Lonsdale. I think through the research that I've done, I've gained a deeper appreciation for adversity and the roles that, that we all have to play in, on, on this earth. I look at these stories of, of veterans and I just see the faith that they had and the, the trials that they went to and it's helped me individually just want to, to aspire to that, to aspire to no matter what happens, no matter what situation I'm put in or thrown into, that I have the choice to react in a positive way and react in a way that's going to not only build my testimony but it's going to build those with whom I'm, I'm talking to. Or the more I learn, the more I realize what I don't know, the more I realize why we have to depend on God for understanding, for real understanding and knowledge. Um, but it also gives me uh, an idea of the beauty of nature, the beautiful world and beautiful minds and bodies that God's given us uh, to, under to try to understand a, a question as difficult as cognitive modeling, how the mind is processing language, really makes you think, you know, whoa, how, how could a human being be so complex, so wonderful, um, and be able to deal with such um, complex variables in, with such speed? To me, that's just wonderful illustration of the, the brains, the, the minds that God's, that God's made for us. What I've learned is kind of the Christian principle of we've, we need to learn from one another. We all bring something different to the table. We can all learn different things from one another. And uh, it's just helped me understand more and more the, you know, the unique and important um, aspects that each of us have. We're all important, unique children of God, and we all have our unique gifts and we can learn from one another. And I think that's really what, the, what life's about, is uh, learning to be the best we can be and learn to love and appreciate other people for the gifts that they have. Both of these students spoke of growth in matters of the gospel as a result of their research projects and discussions they had with mentors and, mentors and peers. Mike Manukin, commented about the individual unique gifts uh, we have and the communal learning. I'm going to put up the Doctrine and Covenants, section 46, 10 through 14, and in the sake of time, I'm not going to read that particular scripture with you, but to remind you of what it says. This scripture mentions gifts that are given collectively unto the Church and by extrapolation to the community that we're discussing. However, each individual may receive and hold some gifts, both for themselves and for others. There's individual responsibility in the group and group responsibility towards one another. Let me summarize what we've discussed today. 
We are an institution that shares a love for the gospel and an active concern for one another. We influence others as examples of gospel living, as mentors and recipients of mentoring. There are those here who have found the gospel and become one with the Church. Decisions have been made about missions, about temple marriage, about lifelong commitment to righteousness because of the strengthening influence of others. You as students bring much to the community. Not only do you provide insights into the research and creative work that we do, but serve us as examples, as teachers to us, as loving fellow citizens to strengthen us all, to aid in the continual growth and testimony of those who constitute the continuing BYU community. Again, Elder Eyring's words, you have changed this place. My association with BYU includes student years and immediate past time of my academic career. I've served as a bishop. I've attended student presentations. I've read your proposals for research and creative work. I am enriched personally. I did have the benefit of good mentors. Some was by people of good character and wisdom, such as Professor Catherine Esau, shown here, a noted plant scientist. I believe I would have been better off uh, in having our own current environment had it been available to me. In close, I do want to offer my testimony of the value of us to one another, and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.